Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Easy. Welcome to Catholic Stuff, Father Michael. Whoa, that was a quick intro. Hello. <laughs> Quicker than usual. Quick. Uh, Father Nathan. I talk too this quickly. This is Catholic Stuff. You're making me feel bad. What? Now I'm sad. I'm just kidding. Oh, hey, welcome. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Father Nathan and Father Michael. All right. Um, so we have to do a pretty quick one because hashtag pastor life. Um, right. So this will be shorter than usual. Last one we did. This is second of two. The first one we did was the second part of uh, from Holy Days to Holidays, and it went nice and long. You're doing a sequel? Yes. No. Oh, I was, I was just saying one. why we're yeah, so yeah. short this one because we right. went long last time. So don't whine. No complaining. And Father Michael was late. And it was late. That is true. That is true. All right. Um, what do you call it? Father Kairos. Father Kairos. <laughs> Father Kairos and not Father Kronos. I'm trying not to be offended by that. In other words, uh, <laughs> eternal time rather than... <laughs> That's true. I mean, like... Time in this world. Back in the day, I mean, like, they got there when they got there. Yeah, I mean, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not usually late. I've been late the past couple of days for things, but... Because of hashtag pastor life. Hashtag pastor life. Except that yesterday was my day off, so... I couldn't complain. I was saying, shout out to Lisa Rona, who is moving. She didn't want anybody to know, but she'll be gone by the time this comes out. Moving back to Indiana, Fort Wayne, home. I miss her. We did we did happy hour quite often, um, but she's she's leaving. But she does admit that she likes Father Mike Schmitz more than us, and she listens to him more readily. So that's okay. But I love her anyway. Most women like anyway. Father Mike Schmitz more than me or you. <laughs> I think you are a beautiful man, Father. <laughs> Thank you. No, he's very good. Honestly, yeah. somebody asked me a question the other day. They said, "How long do you, how long in advance do you prepare your Sunday homilies?" And I'm like, "If I'm lucky, like it's the few days beforehand. If you're very lucky, I mean, if you're not so lucky, it's Saturday morning. If you have no luck at all, it's <laughs> while I'm in the chair. You know, like literally. I mean, I mm-hmm. I, I regret that because. And he said, and I quote. Wow, Father Mike Schmidt says sometimes he he will plan out his homilies like three weeks in advance. Yeah, and I'm like, that's why his homilies right. are so good. Yep, and people are like tuning into them yeah. because he takes time for it, and not that many people are listening to mine on YouTube. Yeah, well, well tune into Father Mike Schmidt and tune into Lanky guys because they put the time in too for oh man for Sunday homilies and Bible study and that. Definite so. shout out to Lanky guys yeah. because they saved me last week Ooh. because I did not have a homily. Okay, I was on retreat all week, so I had plenty of time to pray and think about it, but I didn't. Um, I didn't look at the readings because I was doing my own retreat, right? And then I went straight up from there to the marriage retreat. Um, with uh, Father Brian Larkin um, and kind of doing that. So I prepared my homily on the way down from Estes Park to Denver. And their podcast is, it's like cheating. Right. It's like cheating because they have such good (laughs) insights. And Father Peter Musset has like a wild sense of sometimes like not really knowing like the whole scriptural background of the text. Right. But it's like somehow, like Insights. he just—he yeah. has just like this laser beam right in there. So, yeah. anyways, and Father Scott does a pretty sweet job too. So. Not, not Father Scott, but just Scott. Oh, so yeah, sorry, Doctor Scott. Yeah, Doctor Scott, who is a father of kids. So he's yeah, he's a father. Scott. Sorry, no. Um, the uh, yeah, and actually, you don't understand what a good lead 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 in that is to my topic because I, I was Seriously. I was I was going to start out by saying you know. <laughs> 
it's one of those things I think I've shared before where if, if I do not prepare a homily well, whether that's I tried and I just I have nothing or whether I just didn't try and I'm just like the same thing, like I just didn't have time. I was on retreat last week as well. Um, anyway, I went into this Sunday with one of those like gut level feelings where our Lord has told me before when I have not prepared well for a homily, he has made that homily epic According to the people that, that shared with me, they said that was amazing, Father. And and oftentimes I'll learn something from those homilies if I have not prepared. And it's like Jesus says, "You didn't prepare well, but that is, I'm not going to let your incompetence, of, ex, your yeah. incompetence, exactly affect the people I right. love in the pews." Um, and this was kind of one of those Sundays. Um, so I, I went into it. The uh, the Byzantine Sunday Gospel for this past Sunday was the uh, Luke's version of the Gerasene demoniac. Uh-huh. So the pigs, legion, you know, legion of pigs, legion of demons inside of the man. Then of course the uh, the he uh, they asked to go to the pigs instead of going back to the abyss. Jesus grants that they jump off the bluff. Um, so there was there's this you know it was used in the ancient church studying scripture. Um, called the allegorical interpretation, and this is when you when you read scripture and you um, many theologians almost exclusively used allegorical interpretation because Jesus did. What this means is that you have a, in the Old Testament or even the New Testament you have parables, you have stories, and you say this from the story symbolizes this in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. This from the story symbolizes this in the Christian life. Yeah. Um, one of the, the the most obvious examples is of course Isaac. Right, Jesus, uh, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. What does Isaac do? He's the only son, the beloved son. He carries the wood of the sacrifice on his back to the sacrifice where he will sacrifice himself. Right. So this is, of course, God the Father, Christ, who carries the wood of the cross on his back to the sacrifice of the son, the, the willingness of the father to sacrifice the son. This Old Testament story allegorically is a type, a preparation for a, this symbolizes this of Christ. Um, another example that 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 we use in the church is, is not just Old Testament, New Testament, but in the church, um, in the book of Hebrews, um, St. Paul recounts from the Old Testament that within the Ark of the Covenant, within the Holy of Holies, there was three things. Do you know what those three things are, Father Nathan? Yes. What are those three things? <laughs> uh, a jar of manna. Right. The staff of Aaron. Right. And the Ten Commandments. Yep. Awesome. Very yes. Good. Yeah. So those three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. Those three things symbolized the presence of God to the people. So they put them in this Ark, overshadowed by, by two angels, of course, and the seven branch candle, all these things that were in the Holy of Holies, this place in the Old Testament temple. Um, so what we've done in the Byzantine church is taken those three things and made the altar, the Holy of Holies. The iconostas is the veil that was torn. You have the seven branch candlestick. You have the two huh. angels, etc. But on the altar... There are three things that have to be on every Byzantine altar. And by the way, the Byzantine altar itself, the the holy table we call it, is actually a scale model of the Ark of the Covenant. So it doesn't look like a table. It looks like a box. Yeah. You know, and so on the altar, there has to be three things, the Christianized, baptized version of the three things, the Ark of the Covenant. Can you think of what those three things would be? Well, is one of them the tabernacle? Right. Tabernacle, bread from heaven, jar of manna. Exactly. Eucharist. The staff of Aaron would be the cross, That's like it. the hand cross. That's it. Why? why? Why would the rod of Aaron, the staff of Aaron, be the cross? This is my favorite one, of course. Well, he throws it down in front of the pharaoh and his magicians, and it becomes a serpent. So is it... I re- think that's Moses' staff. Oh. Aaron's staff... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the quick story. Aaron's staff was, of course, a staff of piece of dead wood. 
Uh-huh. It blossomed forth That's life because it. it blossomed to reveal that he was a true priest. Yep. So you have a piece of dead wood brings forth life and reveals the, the sacrificial nature of the priesthood, which, of course, is the dead wood of the cross bringing forth life through the resurrection that Christ offers on it. And Christ is a priest, one who mediates with God, of course, as God and man, and one who sacrifices. Those are the two major roles of a priest. So you have the the hand cross is is the the fulfillment of the rod of Aaron that blossomed. The Eucharist is the yeah. fulfillment of the manna, the bread from heaven that, that fed the people, sustained them in their journey. And of course, the law, Ten Commandments, the law of God written down. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, you have the Gospels. Right. The Scriptures, exactly. We have the Gospel book that rests on the altar. So I was thinking the that piece of cloth, that piece of cloth that has oh, to be... Oh, the Antimensian? Yeah. Yeah, the Antimensian is a... You have to have that, right? You do, um, and you need to have that for a couple different reasons, because that's where the relic is. So as you know, in, in a Roman altar, there's the altar stone with the relic in it. The relic is a relic of the martyrs, because of course, in the early church, they celebrated the Eucharist in the catacombs on the tombs of the martyrs, but even more deeply spiritual is that the, the blood of the martyrs is the foundation and the seedbed of the church. Mm-hmm. So when, when, you, when you celebrate the Eucharist, you'd always be celebrating it on a relic of a... I think the Roman church now changed that, so you don't need to. Yeah. Um, but 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 on the re- uh, uh, literally uh, the body of a of someone who gave their life for the church, you're celebrating the Eucharist on that body on that relic. So um, in our antimensium, we call it antimensium, just on top of the table, um, antimensia. Uh, it is a it's a cloth that has an icon of Christ being taken down from the cross. Mm-hmm. And so in in the cross, you have in within wax, you have a relic of the martyr. It's just a piece of cloth that you can fold up and take with you. This was actually the Byzantine form of a celebrate. So yes. when you got ordained, a celebrate's a proof you're a priest. So like if you're traveling like I did to Spain and Portugal, I had to bring a sheet of paper with me that said, Father Michael is a priest of good standing. And then they'd look at my ID, look at the celebrate, know that I was a priest and it came from my bishop. So this was the well, priest would just carry this in his pocket. Um, but when he was going to celebrate liturgy, he'd open it up. And the icon of the dead Christ is because you don't actually open up that piece of cloth. It's hidden under the gospel book. You don't open it until the catechumens are kicked out. Anybody who's not baptized traditionally would have been kicked out mm. of the church. You didn't open it until then because you were about to say the creed. The creed is not something that a rational mind can grasp, a merely rational mind. You need to have the gifts of baptism to be able to yeah, understand the, the creed, the yeah. faith, exactly. But you also, that it's the case for, for the dead God. In other words, for Christ's death. Why does he say over and over and over again, this fits well with my, my topic too. Why does he say over and over and over again, don't tell anybody what I did? Because it, they're, they're expecting a very human, messianic, governmental Messiah. And if they see that man that they had so much hope in, if they see him dead to a merely rational mind, that means the end. That it's means over. his promises yeah. are done. Where, of course, to a Christian mind with faith, that's only the beginning. The resurrection is coming, etc. Um, so we have those three things. And I, I guess the Antimian scene would be kind of considered part of the holy table. Sure, yeah. You know, but you have those three things because those three things were in the Ark of the Covenant. So again, that's an allegorical interpretation. You take the three things of the Old Testament and they they are types of, they foreshadow, and they they are fulfilled in these things of the New Covenant, of the New Testament. Um, so this allegorical interpretation, and one of the things that came to me, and this is even worse than sitting on the throne, this aspect of my homily came to me while I was preaching, in the midst of preaching. This is what I mean by like, sometimes we homilists yeah. learn from our own homilies, yes. like if, yeah. if it just kind of all comes together in something we hadn't prepared. And so in, in this story, you have, um, of course, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. He goes into the territory of the Gerasenes, which is a Gentile territory. Jesus himself said, 
first minister to the Jews. And Paul was really the first one who went to the Gentiles. But Jesus in his own preaching said to first go to the Jews. Here, Jesus goes to a Gentile area. He crosses the Sea of Galilee. We know it's Gentile because it's across Galilee, but it's also, we know it's Gentile because there's pigs. Of course, pigs were seen as impure. God said they were impure um, in the Old Testament mindset, the Old Covenant. So, we have Jesus cross over. He sees a man that is possessed by a legion of demons. There is this, the legion of demons means that there is a lot of them and that they are in military mode. In other words, they're, they're, in, they're at, at war. And so this, 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 to use a good word, community, a legion, a mass amount of demons have possessed one man. And this community of demons has, has sent him into isolation. And this is a very interesting thing because you have a community of demons sending a man, once he's possessed, because they hate him, of course, sending him into isolation. This is one of the things that demons do best. The demons are all on the same page. The de- There's something about the demons. They, they, they proclaim Christ as God's son. They proclaim his Messiah. We see that throughout. These are, these are evil, evil beings proclaiming Christ as Messiah, living in community. Another interesting aspect of this, when I was when I was thinking about this, preparing this um, podcast, it's also true that you have other instances of community that are evil, not not horribly evil, but it, look look at the ten lepers. Story of the ten lepers. Ten lepers approach Christ. Now, what, one of them was at least one of them was a Samaritan because it says he was a Samaritan. Most likely, the fact that he was pointed out as a Samaritan and the fact that they approached Jesus was that there were others among them that were Jews. So this was a community of Jews and Samaritans, which you did not have in the rest of the world, which yeah. you do not have in the real world. And, and they approach Christ. And in a sense, one, only one comes back to thank him. When Christ says, go see the priest, they head out, they realize they've been cured. Only one comes back. And that's, of course, the message is that a Samaritan came back to thank God for what happened. But in a sense, there's a community, communion, that's how we use it for the sacrament of the Eucharist, the word communion, communion and communion with God, that is heaven, theosis, communion with God. Communion is what we are called to. That's why loneliness is such a rampant aspect of our human life. It's so debilitating because loneliness is the opposite, of course, like in a, in a bad way, the opposite of communion. So you have you have these 10 men, they're in communion. They shouldn't be. What's, what's holding them in communion is their leprosy. Their leprosy is what's keeping them in this, in this communion. But of course, Christ calls them out of the leprosy. I'm sure he intended the communion to remain. It doesn't because only one man comes back, of course. But, but there's, in the story of the Gerasene demoniac, this communion of demons in war mode, they, they possess nice. the man. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus cast them out, he cast them into pigs and they, they go off the bluff and they die. The, the other interesting thing, among the other interesting things is that I had a kid ask me one time, did the demons remain in the bodies of the dead pigs? And, I, and they were like, why did they want to go into the pigs? I'm like, well, the main reason that I've perceived is that because they hate the townspeople. And if they, they know that if they get rid of the townspeople the town people's livelihood. And that was the townspeople made money off of pigs. That's what they did. And so if the demons knew that if we get rid of the pigs, they'll turn against Christ. If we, if we get rid of their livelihood, if we get rid of their method of making money, they will turn against Christ, which is exactly what they did. They asked Christ to leave yeah. because he had cast the pigs away and because they were fearful. So they were fearful because their livelihood was gone. They were fearful of Christ for whatever reason. And so the devils had a victory. The legion had a victory. This is not a happy parable. This is not a happy story. It's not a parable. It really happened. 
happened, right? It's not a happy story. The devils won in a sense. And that was our last ditch effort was let's just kill all the pigs. And then the people were turned against Christ, which is what happens. Mm -hmm. Another interesting aspect of the story though, is that how many times does Jesus say, like I mentioned earlier, he heals someone, cures someone, casts out a demon. And then he says, don't tell anybody. Do you remember what happened at the, end of this, at the end of this story? He asks to follow him. Yeah, and Jesus says, no. The man asks to follow Jesus, he says, no. He says, go back and tell people what happened. Right. That is so rare in the scriptures. Do you remember what happens at the very end of the movie Calvary? I don't, I don't want to give it away for those who haven't seen it, but I know you guys did a podcast on this. At the end of the movie Calvary, there's one little boy. Mm. He sees what happens at the end. And he goes running back into the town. Yeah. And Calvary is not a happy movie either, of course. It, it's yeah. like, at this story, the people ask Christ to leave. The, this town in the, in the movie Calvary is, is just like, it seems so lost. Yeah. You're looking for hope. And I've always seen that, that little boy running back into the town as a sign of this man going back into the town. Because where right. do you think those demons went? That's a good point. I would not be surprised if they went back into the townspeople. You have a legion of demons they, they, they possess the pigs. The pigs are going after the buff. Where are the demons going to go? They don't want to go back to the abyss. They probably go into the people that just cast Christ out of their life. They told Christ to leave. So this man is being sent as a sheep among wolves. He's being sent back to be an apostle, yeah. back into the town where he has to proclaim Christ to probably an entire town that's possessed because the demons are now in them and ask Christ to leave again. This is not the scriptures. This is not the fathers. This is just my, what I hope is a Holy Spirit moment. Um, but... What I saw as the as kind of the allegorical part of this story was that this possessed man, when Jesus comes across him, he is described as being naked, living among the dead, isolated, rejected, and was bound. Mm-hmm. He kept on breaking the bounds, but he was bound. They tried to tie him up. Right. This is this man at his worst. This is this man possessed by legion. He's, again, naked, among the dead, isolated, rejected, and bound. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Exactly. Of Christ. When this man, Christ came to be like this man when he was at his worst. The worst point in this man's life, Jesus came to be like him then. I mean, it's just this, if I think like when I'm at my worst, how would I describe me when I'm at my worst and in a sense, I can say allegorically, uh, what I am doing is I am imitating the the immensity of of the sin that I that the world is immersed in and I'm immersed in. And then I think Christ came to me at that point, like mm-hmm. God, who is all good, all pure, all powerful, decided to come and and be the fulfillment of me at my worst. Christ is the fulfillment of this man at his worst. Christ is the fulfillment of Isaac. He's the fulfillment of all these Old Testament things, but he's the fulfillment we have to see. In a sense, we see Christ clearly when we're at our worst, and, and he, he calls us out of that. And he takes on he takes on the identity of what should be our natural state, which is isolated, rejected, right? naked, um, bound, all of those things, and he becomes those things. Yeah. Wow, that's great. He, 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 he redeems... He redeems us, but he redeems us because he finds us when we're, in our, when we're at our worst. Mm-hmm. He was, again, in his weakness, he was made strong. He conquered, he, he brought life through death. I mean, it's so clear in the Christian message, all of these things, but it's too often, I think, that we in our lives, we don't want to share 
with our community. We don't want to share the times when we're at our worst. We only want to share the times when we're at our best. This yeah. is what, of course, social media is. We only we edit all the things that are bad. We only show the best part of ourselves, what we think are the best part of ourselves. But there's something about the devil has community. <laughs> the, de- the devil has what we are called to. He has community. And in the community of evil that he has, he is able to send someone into isolation yeah. and live among tombs, be completely naked, be bound, etc. And it, it, it's, it's there where Christ finds us by bonding himself with us. He finds us by, by becoming one of us in that moment and then raising us. And what does he raise the man to be? Same thing happens with the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman is, is, is kind of at her worst Five husbands, the man she's now with, with now is not her husband. She's there at the well alone in the heat, isolated. She's alone because she's the object of gossip for all these people. And where does Christ find her? He finds her there, isolated, alone, having all these ex-husbands. You know, she find, And what does she do? He gives her living water. And what does she become? She becomes an apostle. She goes back into the town and brings the entire town out to Christ. This is like the opposite of what happened with this man, what the town did. But... Christ made this man an apostle. Apostle apostolos just means sent. Right? He sends this man who is he found at his worst. He redeems him, sends him into the world. Christ finds us at our worst by becoming what we were at our worst. He redeems humanity. He redeems us, and then he sends us into the world as an apostle. Can we really say that the devil has community? I think he. I, you're right. I don't think he has. Community, because community involves weakness, vulnerability, and all the things that we companions try to live out on a daily basis. He also, I mean, each one of them wants their own. Like they want their own glory. They want they want to hurt other people. All of those things. Um, But I I, I think think, that's why I think it's interesting that they're described as legion, not as we are a community. Yeah, like we are. We are a an assembly or something like that. No, they're a legion. They are in battle formation yeah. because they are warring against God's holy ones. Yeah. I, 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 I think that they have maybe, they have what the devil tries to convince us community is. Yeah. You know, obviously, like I've said before, how, how, how why do so many TV shows manifest people that are living in community. I mean, there's a TV show called Community. There's a TV show called Friends, right? I mean, like, I'm dating myself, but, you know, th- there's these... Yeah. We, we want to watch community happening, but the devil wants us to watch that and then think we have it by watching it, right, yeah. not by going out and getting it, you know? Nobody, nobody on sitcoms just sits and watches TV. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we're doing at the moment. They, they're out having real community, but the devil loves us to sit in front of the TV and think by watching community that we have it. That's just, it's evil and it's untrue. So there's something about, I think, again, this is a stretch for that scripture, but there's something about when the devil bonds together for a certain purpose, he wins. He casts this man out and he, he possesses him and casts him into isolation. But the same thing can be true for us. When we, if we bind together in true community towards a purpose, namely salvation of souls, salvation of our own soul first, then if the community allows us to have those real results. And I think the devil in an evil way was manifesting as he always does because he was created good, something that is good, but it's just twisted. And yeah. we need to untwist that. Well, and it's it's rooted in poverty. I mean, the first thing you do is you acknowledge your own poverty because Christ wants to bond himself to you in your poverty, in your weakness, yeah. in your loneliness, in your nakedness, whatever. I mean, allow Christ into that place, and then he becomes that. 
I mean, not anymore. I mean, right. Christ once dies, dies no more. Right. So he lives forever, but he'll still come into those places and say, give me that burden. Yeah. Give me that pain. Give me that weakness. So it's beautiful. Yeah, Christ is like us in every way except sin. And I, it's like we invite him into that, but it's also, I think, a realization, a realization that he is already there, an invitation that he's already lived that. As St. Paul says over and over again, I mean, he, he, he became the high priest so that we would have a high priest like us. We'd have someone that sacrifices from us for us, someone who mediates between God and man for us, like the high priest did. But it was not a high priest that lived luxuriously and kind of had all the things that the Old Testament high priest had. You know, no, he became like us. We have a judge and someone who is perfectly just and perfectly merciful, and he judges us, but he is like us. He is one of us. And that's the beauty of what this is. So when you do feel that you're at your worst, like don't... Don't say, Christ, you need to become like me. It's like, we need to open our eyes of faith and say, he did. He did become like me. He finds me at my worst. He becomes like me at my worst. I mean, what do we want? If I find myself guilty, if I feel guilt about something I did on a human level, what do I want? I want to be around other people who did the exact same thing. If I'm a gossip, I want to be around gossips. If I'm lustful, I want to be around other people that are lustful. It makes me feel better to see other people that are like me, that are suffering the same thing I am. And it does, I, I, I don't feel worse. If I'm around good people when I'm feeling bad, it makes me feel worse. If I'm around people that do the exact same thing I do, especially those who say it's okay to do those things, that's a very human temptation. What that is, though, it's a twisting and a mutilation of the fact that Christ says, I am just like you. I became like you, not not a victim, well, a victim of sin, not a doer of sin, but immersed in sin as as a, as a victim, willingly and bigger than that, stronger than that. But next time you desire, in the same way, when you find yourself at your worst, find, open your eyes of faith, and see that Christ was there, redeems it, heals you, and then calls you to be a messenger, an apostle of the healing. And in the same way, when you find yourself. In sin, looking for other sinners to make you feel better, stop doing that and look to Christ who is like you. The other sinners are like you, but Christ is like you in the same place, but he leads you out of sin rather than helping you to feel content and comfortable in that but sin. But then he will actually send you back to sinners. Right. He'll actually send you back into the very place so that you can be a witness to the hope that you've received from being found in Christ. Right. And then, then to be able to say through testimony, you know, you say, yeah, you're, you're your worst. Don't stay there and don't be afraid of that because Christ will meet you at when you're at your worst, heal you and bring you out. And I am a testimony to that, yeah. you know, that he did that exact same thing with me. So it happens. It, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Of course, it takes work. It takes effort to, to receive what Christ wants to offer, but it's entirely possible, and that's what an apostle is. Every apostle went out and preached through their own vulnerability and weakness the power of Christ. They were all earthen vessels, carrying the light of Christ in an earthen vessel, which is, of course, the, the height of the Christian life. That's a pretty inspired moment. It was. If you didn't have anything. <laughs> if you didn't have anything, like that's pretty good. It almost makes me want to do that more often. I will not. Sorry, Lord. I will not do that more often. But but it was it was one of those moments. I was like, that was beautiful. Test him. No, exactly. But it's nice when he does show up. It right. has happened. So. <laughs> in in a very obvious way that I learned from myself. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's that's all I have. That was. Bam. Simple and quick. We got to get on with our pastoral lives.
Yeah, I know. I do. I do want to shout out, and I will do it next time by name, first name only, but all twenty-five other pilgrims that went with me to oh, Spain, yeah. Portugal, because there were many of them, and uh, two of them, especially Lucretia and Maria, they gave me a T-shirt that they bought in Santiago because we walked the, like the last ten kilometers of the Camino. And we walked into Santiago, and they bought me a T-shirt of that snowman from Frozen, Olaf. Yeah. Of him finishing the Camino. Oh, nice. <laughs> they have all these, like, fake, generic Disney characters, like, <laughs> in Santiago on these little kids' T-shirts. And they bought me one of those because my name is Olaf. So I thought, I was like, shout out to you guys. I'll get to all the rest of you later on. And, of course, to Leah, Leah Darrow, who uh, invited me on and allowed me to go. So, Dang, you flew through guys. that. Nice job. Thank you. Well played. All right, folks. Couple shout outs. Here we go. Dear Father Nathan, 1023-2017. You're just showing off that we're getting to a shout out soon afterwards. True. <laughs> uh, these two small gifts come from your brothers in Ogdensburg, New York. That is upstate New York. My brothers, is that priests or? Huh? brothers who just yeah they're priests Christ. be okay. patient thank you and your fellow companions for your good words work and witness uh in christ our hope father brian stitt uh who's in the ipf spiritual direction program with me and nice. uh was one of the first people i met when i uh like started the program and it was kind of cool because he's like do you are you the guy from the podcast I'm like yes um and he was just very generous and kind and um and he's, he wanted to make sure, he said, P.S., I don't know how you feel about giving shout-outs to priests, but I think these other priests were actually the ones that paid for all this stuff. So Fathers Joseph Giroux and Father Scott Bellina. Uh, Father Scott Bellina and Father Joseph Giroux. Giroux. Anywho, there's only one bottle here. One, because uh, I my bag was already pretty full, um, and I was afraid of breaking it. And it's kind of nice to have bourbon already ready for me when I go to Chicago. <laughs> so I just left it there. So okay. they got us the thing of Black Fly um, bourbon from New York. Nice. But I did bring back the burble, the Big Slide Bourbon Barrel Aged Maple Syrup Batch Number 1 Ooh. handcrafted in Lake Placid, New York, which is crazy because... When Father Brian Stitt said, hey, make sure that you leave some room in your bag. Uh, we want to get you something from New York. I was like, man, I hope it's maple syrup. <laughs> I really did. That's awesome. And he answered my prayer. Nice. So I've already promised Father Michael that I will make my yes, you did. Uh, famous uh, whole wheat pancakes, yes, which are super tasty. So good, in fact, that a squirrel climbed down the uh, vent pipe to his death. <laughs> Because what? he was so excited to eat these. Yeah. So I made them. I made them. And then a few days later, I smelled this acrid smell. And I was like, what is that? It just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then my housekeeper came in. She goes, something's dead. And I'm like, yeah, I think so. So we looked around, didn't see anything. And then um, Randy, my maintenance guy, got up on the roof. And he said, yep, there's a squirrel stuck in your in your vent pipe. He had oh smelled gosh. the, it smelled the pancakes <laughs> griddle because he used bacon grease, nice. um, not just regular butter to oil the pan. Anyways, and he climbed down to his death. 
but you gotta make these for me then before Philip's fast. So we only have like two weeks. What? Philip's fast is 40 days before Christmas for us crazy Byzantines. 40 days and 40 nights. Michael fasted in his parish. <laughs> um, two weeks? Okay, I'll take that challenge. Nice. You gotta come over here though. I will walk before we go to Rome. I you guess. don't have, yeah, you don't even have a working sink at your house, so yeah. I'll, I'll, it's working now, but barely. All right. <laughs> um, so thank you. Uh, he put it in a Kinney Drugs bag. I kind of like this place. Shout out once again. Shout out Kinney Drugs. Kinney. <laughs> um, dear Father Nathan, Father Michael, Father John, and Father Mike, thank you so much for your podcast. My husband and I enjoy it very much here in Washington State. We hope you enjoy these cherries from our hometown. Uh, God bless. Sincerely, Catherine and Dan Norris. And they got us Chipotle cherries. Chukar cherries. Dried Rainier cherries with smoky pepper from hometown Prosser, Washington. I had those last night. Mm hmm. Good I need a little pick me up. Throw me one, too. So the Knights of Columbus at my parish make salsa. Okay. It's so good. But sometimes I'm tempted just to eat chips and salsa for dinner. Yeah, I've done that. And if you do that, like, <laughs> yeah, it's just not very satisfying. Keep you up at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are really good. I've totally done that before. All right, folks. Daddy's got to go to work. Yeah. Free stuff. All right, y'all. Uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at Ooh, Gmail. It is spicy. I like it. Like us on Facebook. Give us some reviews on iTunes. Y'all that. We're on Twitter, too. Uh, bye. Father Nathan's trying to get the spice. Yeah, it's not spicy. <laughs> it's a spicy. Okay, we'll see you later. Goodbye.